I am Champ Thornton. I'm one of the associate pastors here. If you're new, our senior pastor, Curtis Hill, will be back from vacation this week. So it is my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning from Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing our series in Paul's letter to the Galatians. So if you have a copy of God's Word, either a hard copy or on a personal device, I encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'll read through verse 6. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is God's Word. So this is the point I'd like to drive home with us this morning from this passage, and that is whatever rescues you, owns you. Whatever you are looking at for deliverance, exercises control and domination over you. So, for example, here's what I mean. If you're in business and you've got a goal to reach or you've got a client to sign or you have a deadline that you need to meet, in your mind, if that succeeds, then you've made it. And if you've made it, you can finally rest. Because you've been delivered from what you, where you were before, and it's, you have accomplished where you want to go. And in this way, reaching the goal provides rescue. But until you hit that goal, you are going to be dominated and owned by that pursuit. Whatever you've assigned rescue status to, whatever is your rescuer, will own your, you and your time and your attention. So this could be true in business, and that occurs in a lot of areas of life other than business. So potentially, this is the dynamic of a hobby. Some pastime that you think, you know what, this, when I am doing this thing, I feel good, I feel normal, life feels together. Or maybe it's compulsive purchasing. You know, if I'm not buying something, I'm not feeling good. Or, you know, if you, for me, I love getting books in the mail. So I, when I get a book, I'm like, yes, it's Christmas, I love it. And we all have these things that when life works a certain way, we feel good about how life works could be a parent who wants nothing more than something good for their child, and they're super focused to get there, but whatever is serving as your rescuer, whatever is promising to deliver you and from where you are and put you where you want to be, that rescuer also owns you. It owns your focus. So, in these various random situations that I've just sketched in, they all have common elements. 
And it's kind of like a bridge. So yesterday our family was out running errands and I saw in the distance the Delaware Memorial Bridge. Every bridge is going to have some common elements. So for example, you're going to have the side of the bridge that you're on, where you are. You're going to have, secondly, the other side of the bridge, where you want to go. You're going to have the bridge that spans those two locations. And you're going to have some reason or compulsion to cross the bridge. And so the same is true with whatever is a rescuer in our lives. We have a situation we want to get out of, a situation we want to see improved. So it could be a family situation, it could be a work situation, it could be a financial situation, it could be any kind of situation that we feel is substandard and we think, I want to go from that situation to 2.0 and I need something to rescue me out of 1.0 and bring me to 2.0. So every rescuer situation, we have a situation we want to get out of, we have a destination we want to arrive at, a bridge of rescue that promises to span the difference and a compulsion to cross that bridge. And so the question I have for you today is, what are you looking to to rescue you out of the situation that you're in? What therefore owns the focus in your life. And our entire passage today is about that warning. In the very first verse, Paul rings the bell when he says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul knew that the believers in this church were being tempted to pick up something that he compares to a yoke, a farm implement that was used to harness and control oxen so that something productive could happen. It's a yoke of hard labor, a yoke that enslaves, it owns. Now, of course, the believers weren't actually being tempted to pursue slavery. They were being tempted to pursue something that promised to make life better for them, to help them reach the destination that they were heading to. What they weren't bargaining on is that's the bait, but the hook is enslavement. Because whatever you look to to be your rescuer owns you. And what was it? What was that yoke? Nathan talked about it last week, the law. And so here's what was going on. There were teachers who had come into Galatia, the church in Galatia, after Paul, who wrote this letter, had been there. And they were saying that you had to become Jewish, a follower of Judaism, to be a proper Christian. And the rationale might have been something like this. You see, there was the old people of God, the Jews, and you were, if you wanted to be a follower of Judaism, then you, as a follower of Judaism, if you want to be part of the new people of God, you became a Christian. And now notice these two things go together. So notice the apostle Peter, he was a follower of Judaism, and then he became a follower of Christ. Paul was a follower of Judaism. And was he ever? And then Christ met him on the Damascus Road, and he became a follower of Christ. So these two things go together. And so to be part of the people of God, the argument went, you needed to follow, be a follower of Judaism and Christianity. And Paul says, no way. You've misunderstood. Neither Paul nor Peter were merely adding Christ to their Judaism. He's saying it's Christ from first to last. Christ is the only rescuer, 
and all the rescue you need. Jesus Christ came to earth to be the rescuer, delivering us, not enslaving us, delivering us from all that else would that would enslave us, not least of which is our sin, our inherent tendency to make life all about us. So Paul here warns that whatever you look to for rescue other than Christ will end up enslaving you, but Christ, our master, sets us free. I'm going to read verse 1 again. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's verse 1. And now from verse 2 all the way to the end of our passage today to verse 12, Paul provides reasons for this warning. He gives the warning, stand firm, don't pick up a yoke of slavery. It's not a true rescuer. It will not deliver what it promises. It will own you. Let me tell you why you shouldn't do it. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. First of all, the first reason Paul gives is he says, here's the warning, don't do it. Why? Because he says, beware of subtle additions to Christ. Verses 2 through 4, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. So, some of you know me better than others, but if you know my personality, you know I love to find like creative alternatives to sticky problems. If you give me like two hard choices, I'm looking for a third because we're going to find a way. But Paul doesn't give us that option here. He's putting all of us who are reading this letter at a fork in the road, and there is no third option. You can go one way or the other only. If you accept circumcision, and by referring to that, Paul is meaning this is the last ceremonial rite to become a follower of Judaism. It's kind of shorthand for becoming a follower of Judaism. If you do that, then Christ, he says, is no advantage to you. You have one or the other. Paul says you can't have more than one rescuer. You're either relying on Jesus as your rescuer or you're not. Look at verse 2 again. It says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you add to his rescue, you're saying that his rescue isn't enough. And that means you're not really and fully relying on his rescue, his deliverance. In fact, you're saying his rescue is inadequate. So if you supplement Christ's rescue, essentially you're reducing the benefits of his rescue. He says, beware of subtle additions. It's not subtle. It's either one way or another. It's not adding to Christ. Truly, it's subtracting. And then Paul gives another reason in verses 3 to 4, another reason to avoid subtle additions, adding to your own rescue, and that is if you add just a bit of law, you signed up to keep the whole thing. Verses 3 and 4, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. So if you rely on anything other than Christ, you're not adding, you are subtracting, but you're also just substituting. 
you are adding your own rescue. You're adding a whole new way, a whole new system of being right with God. It's not a small addition. You're completely jumping to another set of plans. So if you have any other rescuers in addition to Christ, you're not supplementing, you're substituting. And Paul warns us about the unintended consequences of adding anything to Christ and His rescue. Now, to be honest, I really doubt whether anyone here today has been tempted this week to become a follower of Judaism in order to be part of the people of God. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I'm confident that probably no one has been tempted with that bait. But do we do this? Does this have relevance to our lives? And I would say the answer clearly is yes. So we may not follow the exact path of Jewish legalism, as you'll see on the slide, where we want to go from, you know, we, before we were Christians, then we take Christ and, oh, yep, yeah, well, then we add the law and we become the people of God. We may not follow that, but I think there are ways we might slip into the same dynamic. So here's some examples. I'm going to call this not Jewish legalism, but salvation legalism. And this is where we want to achieve eternal life by being good, by doing good things. We're good people. Now, the aim here is heaven, eternity in heaven. And the bridge to that location is Jesus plus, you know, the good things I do. But it's still Jesus plus. And you say, I know some people like that. When I ask, are you a Christian? They tell me all the things they do. But I'm not like that. Good. But I think there's another way that this error can slip into our lives. And I'm not going to call it salvation legalism. I'm calling it Christian legalism. And this is where we want to please God by obeying as perfectly as we can, doing the right things. And the aim is to make God happy with me. And the bridge is Jesus plus my best efforts, towing the line and certain issues. Good Christians do things like this. Jesus plus these Christian things, and God is happy with me. And you might say, oh, I've met people like that, but that's not me. Well, let me offer another way that this might slip in, and I'm going to call it functional legalism. And this is where we want to feel that, we want to feel that life is good, that, that uh, we're good at keeping life in order. And the aim is not eternal bliss, but earthly bliss. A little heaven on earth, can we call it that? To get out of hard places, to make life good and smooth and work well. And the bridge is good effort, keeping up, making good choices, keeping things in order. But in all these scenarios, God's Word reminds us that Christ is what we need to gain heaven, to please God, to make life work, and to endure when life doesn't seem to be working. So Paul warns us here to beware of subtle additions to the rescue that Christ has already provided. He warns against any approach that turns out to be Jesus plus because 
any other rescuer than Jesus will enslave us, will own you. So what does that mean? If it's just Jesus and there's no other part on the bridge, are we completely passive? Is any action on our part other than trusting Jesus actually some sort of functional self-rescue? Well, in the next verses, Paul continues his warning, and in doing so, he provides some helpful diagnostics to help us evaluate if we have put our trust in another rescuer. He says, I want you to not only beware of subtle additions, but also to beware of alternate metrics than Christ's. Verses 5 and 6 say this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So in these verses, Paul is offering an alternative. He's been warning negatively, and now he sets out positively something he's commending. And he sketches a positive description of what the Christian life should look like. And this positive description offers metrics for evaluating what our Christian lives should look like. First, Paul says that for the Christian, our righteousness are actually arriving, having it all together, things are right, life is good, we're keeping up. Our righteousness, all that is coming in the future. Verse 5, again, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So things will be right, things will be good, everything will be at that destination in the future. We'll have our stuff together in the future, and we wait for it. In contrast to future righteousness, when we have a Jesus plus mindset, whatever we bring to the table, whatever is the addition, in contrast, that is not by faith, it's by sight. It's visible and right now. In other words, you can't measure righteousness in the future. It's just, it's coming. However, you can measure something right now. And so if it's right now, it's not by faith, it's by sight. You can measure if you've attended church enough or given charitable contributions enough or helped your fellow man enough or been a nice person enough or worked at a career hard enough or been a committed parent or spouse enough. You can look at your performance and feel, I've measured up. Or you can look at your performance and feel like, oh, I've not measured up. If you're living by faith, that measurement is in the future. We are called to live by faith and not to feel like we have it all figured out in the present. We do not live by sight. Paul says our metric is hidden in heaven in the future, and so we wait for it by faith. But when we have an alternate rescuer, we are owned by the metric of now. Have I been good enough? smart enough, clever enough, nice enough. So, I don't know about you, but I like my righteousness to be by sight. I mean, I like that. 
I, I like it when my righteousness is clearly seen that I got my stuff together, that I'm a good guy, that I'm a nice guy. I like it when it's by sight. I like it when my righteousness is clear in my wife's sight. I like it when my righteousness is clearly seen in my sight, by my friend's sight, by my social media followers' sights. I like my life to look good right now. And if that's the righteousness I'm chasing, it is an alternate rescue and it will own me. Because when everything about my right now righteousness says, he's good, you know what? I feel great. And I feel happy and all is well. And then when I drop the ball, I'm crushed. Because why? Because it owns me. It's an alternate rescuer. I'm looking for my right now righteousness to be what delivers me, not Jesus. And so we wait for it by faith. But what about the present? That's the future. What about the present? At the present, that invisible faith, you can see it. How can you see it? Because it works itself out in the right now in love. What counts is faith working through love. You see, when we try to make life work in the, by adding to what Christ has done, we're trying in many ways to control. We're trying to get everything contained so we can have all our ducks in a row and all the boxes are checked and the schedule is all lined out. We like everything good. We are doing well. Life is going well. We like it to be contained like that because we have some control. But that's not the way real life is. This is kind of like... If someone were to graduate from high school and all of a sudden they realize like, what? I kind of miss the order and the grading system and the marking uh, systems and uh, the feedback loops. And so I want to go back to school so I can have all that structure and I know I'm doing well because when I'm out of high school, where am I supposed to be at eight o'clock? And what are my assignments? And, and, and Paul says, here's your assignment, love. Well, who do I love? Mm-hmm. And when do I love? Yes. How much do I love? You got it. And we want to go back. Just, just tell me, like, I got an A, 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 B plus, A, A. Tell me that because it's contained and it's measurable and I can see it. Paul says, no, 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 no. Set aside. Don't go back to the old way. In Christ, what all that counts is something that's very unquantifiable, and that is your faith working through love. And if you are relying on Christ, you are free. You are free to love. So he says to beware of subtle additions. Beware of a metric that's contrary to Christ. And also beware of a message, messaging that's contrary to Christ. Beware of contrary messaging. He says in verses 7 to 9, and I want you to listen he shifts his focus now from the people he's writing to. He says, who are those other people in your life? Those influences, those voices. Here we go. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
So I don't know about you, we've been enjoying watching some of the Olympics. My son enjoys running. We've been watching track and field events. And it's amazing how many people get tripped up while they're running around. I mean, they're in that little tight pack and someone's foot gets caught on something else and down they go and they're out. And they never planned like, you know, I'm going to train for years. I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to be in that race and I'm going to win. And my goal actually is to be out within five seconds. That's my goal. Watch this. No one does that. They think, I've got this. And Paul uses the same kind of wording. He's like, who cut in on you? You were running so well. Who who are the voices in your life that threaten to trip you up? So we're talking blog posts. We're talking social media posts. We're talking talk radio. We're talking cable television even Christian stations, who are the voices that are in your life that threaten to trip you up? I don't begin to claim that I know. But do we have our radar up that maybe some of the information and agenda that we're consuming, even in the name of Christianity, is actually harmful? These people that came into the church weren't wearing a badge that said, hi, my name is false teacher. And Paul says, who tripped you up? These are things we must consider. Yet Paul is not all just dark clouds here. He's actually very optimistic. He says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, you know what I know? I know that Jesus promised this. He promised, my sheep will hear my voice. So you can have confidence that the Lord will lead you. It may be the voice of a friend talking to you about God's Word that helps you recognize some of the error and excess that you've been consuming. It could be a conversation with a family member. It could be a conversation with one of the shepherding team members or one of the pastors here, someone saying, have you considered that maybe what you're just telling me is not the best path? Paul is incredibly optimistic that God will protect the flock. He also is optimistic that he will drive out the wolves. He says, the one that's troubling you, God's got their number. And so he knows that these false teachers are not only destructive, but they're also limited. God limits their influence. And then lastly, Paul makes a very strong point, even sarcastically, about these false teachers. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. So these false teachers are advocating circumcision, and they're probably saying, oh yeah, Paul is too, but he just kind of left it out when he was with you. And Paul replies, number one, I am not advocating circumcision. That's verse 11. And in verse 12, he says that all this talk about circumcision and cutting reminds him of the self-mutilation practiced by pagan priests in the temples. So why stop at circumcision, he concludes sarcastically. Keep on cutting. The message of false teachers who want to add to Christ isn't Christian, isn't Jewish. In fact, it's pagan. And so Paul warns with a strong note. Beware of this contrary messaging. 
So in this whole passage, Paul is swinging hard. He's swinging hard not to enslave believers, but so that they would live in the freedom that Christ has won for them. He's warning them, beware of even subtle additions to Christ's rescue. Beware. Beware of a metric that's in the now. Beware of the influence of false teachers. Because whatever you look to as your rescuer owns you. If you really need to just make life work, you will be driven and owned. If you attempt something and you fail, you will be owned by shame. If you don't attempt something, you may be owned by regret. If somehow you're not covering all the bases and you haven't covered all the bases, you may be consumed with guilt. If you find yourself rejected by others, you may feel alone and isolated. And if after you assess all that's required of you, you may find that you are just captured by fear and overwhelmed. And then if you just courageously face up to your limitations, you may feel trapped by discouragement and depression. But if Christ, if Christ is your rescuer, then he's done all that's required and you're free. If he's, he's provided all you need, he's already written the ending of the beautiful story of your life. He knows how it ends. So you can attempt and engage and even fail with calmness and confidence because he's already paid for your life and your well-being. He's paid for your sin, your failure, your weakness, your limitations. He covers your shame and your guilt. He meets you in your fear and suffering. He's got you. He's got you. Why would you add to that? So by faith, trust what he's done. And now you can love other people. And one day, he will set everything right and set everything straight. If you don't, whatever you add to Christ will crush you. But if you're relying on Christ alone, you will find him the true and life-giving rescuer. This morning, what are you looking to to make life work? Maybe not for your salvation, but just to make life work. Are you looking to something other than Christ? Has something taken the place of Christ as your rescuer? In your work, your relationships, your family, your monotony, in all this, look to Christ as your rescuer in area, every area of life and rely on Him alone because He's the only one who can set you free. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given everything for us so that you could be our master and then also set us free to follow your example in loving others. Would you help us to be aware of where these subtle additions can be added to our lives? Help us to live in the trusting goodness of what you have already won for us. 
Help us to lay aside and throw down any would-be functional saviors and rescuers. So we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.